Welcome, everyone. How's everyone doing this morning? Doing great. I love you all. It's so good. Uh, thanks for joining us online again, and thanks for joining us in person. I, I got to say, I've seen some faces I haven't seen in a while, and it's made me, made me real happy. So welcome back. If you're just coming back and joining us, welcome. If this is your first time, it's so good to see you, for real. And so um, if you haven't been around, um, or maybe you have been, we've been, you would know that we've been in a series called Formed. And so I just want to talk about that for a second. Actually, I'm going to talk about it the whole time. This is the last service. We'll see what happens. But we're in the series called Formed, an abiding life with Christ. And um, if you recall, we were kind of asking a couple questions, questions like, what is God's great goal for our lives? What's his goal for our lives? What does God want for our lives more than anything else? What would he want for our lives? And um, some ways that you can answer that question is that, well, we know that God's goal for every human being is to be formed into or shaped into the image of Jesus. And so to become more and more like Jesus. So that's what we've been talking about, and we'll continue to talk about that today. In fact, I want to ask you to get to Romans 15 with us this morning. We're going to be in Romans 15, so if you have a Bible, grab that. Um, There's some underneath your seats as well, or however you get there. Romans 15, that's the spot, because today we're going to be talking about another aspect or um, another one of the goals of how to become more and more like Jesus, and that goal is going to be the goal of being formed for mission. So Romans 15, informed for mission. So that's the basis of our conversation for today. And by the way, if we have never met before, my name is Steve. I am one of the pastors on staff here at Grace Church, and I have the honor and privilege of leading um, disciple-making and missions and stuff at our campus. And so, of course, check that out. We're talking about foreign for mission. They throw the missions pastor up here. So we'll see how this goes. I'm really excited about this. And I'm not just excited about it because it's like literally my job to be, I guess, um, although I am excited about that. Um, but I personally have a tremendous heart and passion for missions, for mission for seeing uh, disciples of Jesus be on mission for Jesus uh, and seeing other people come to know Jesus. And so I've been excited about that. I was so excited that I'm like, you know what? I need to call on some of my missions partners, some of our missions partners, and and help me out with this. So real cool, I called on uh, Ethan and Matt. I'm gonna introduce you to them. This is a screenshot of our Zoom. I don't know if they're laughing at me because I realize I have a funny face on or if we were laughing at something else in the time. It doesn't even matter. But uh, this is Ethan from... uh, 
the Chateau. Um, it's a ministry in France that we partner with, and uh, we do a lot of youth stuff there. We do um, uh, all kinds of things, uh, just refugee outreach and things like that that we do in uh, France. It's a beautiful time. Uh, we have another trip coming out this year. And then this is Matt Daniels. He is a missionary in Japan. So there's a couple of our uh, missions partners that I want to introduce you to and uh, know that we have been praying and thinking through um, this kind of stuff together um, because it's a passion of ours. And so that has been exciting. Uh, I'm also excited about this message because um, we have been in a book. Uh, Pastor Tony, he's been leading um, our, our ministry leads through a book called Gaining by Losing. And so I don't know if anybody has ever read that before. Just me. Cool. Well, hey, you can ha- here's a new book for you to read, uh, Gaining by Losing. And so we've had this perspective uh, that we've been processing through and praying through. And this book is about, like, uh, well, it says why the future belongs to the churches that send. So it's about being a sending church. It's about being a church on mission. And so this has been on our minds quite a bit lately. So I'm excited about that. In fact, I love this book. And I love this book actually until I got to chapter nine, which uh, chapter nine is your church doesn't need a missions pastor. Uh, So uh, there's that. I was like, Pastor Tony, I was like, is this some kind of like passive aggressive like thing Pastor Tony is trying to tell me? And I assure you, I talked to Tony and he said it wasn't passive at all. So um, we're, we're talking through that, um, but it's a really great book, and that chapter actually makes a lot of sense um, when you get into it, so I'll, I'll spare you the details. Just got to read the book. It's a great book, and I'm still on staff, so here we go. That's great. <laughs> we can move on from that. So that's enough of that. I want to spend some time in Romans with you, okay? And really, before we do, um, I don't know if you've had this sense before, um, same as me, but when you read Romans, uh, it, it's kind of a lot. It's a very dense letter. Uh, maybe you picked up some of our Romans uh, journals and you've gone through Romans with somebody else or you've read it on your own. It's a lot. There's a lot in there. There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot of uh, deep Old Testament history, um, but it's a lot. And it's really good. And so I thought it would be helpful since we're getting into Romans and we're reading chapter 15. Um, let me give us a little bit of an outline of where we're headed. Sometimes when Paul talks, it seems like, oh, he's saying this, and now he's saying this, but really there's one thought. And so here's the outline, okay? Here's what we're going to be going over today. Um, And we're going to start with verse 5, and so we're going to see the context. We're going to see a little bit of the context as to why he's writing uh, chapter 15. We'll see um, him talk about the Gentiles, and we'll unpack that a little bit. We'll see him talk about the gospel, and we'll see him tie it all into the mission, okay? So Hopefully that is helpful for us as we go through this. So, of course, we're going to go through the context at first. So, would you join me in reading God's word here in verse 5 of Romans chapter 15. And it says this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be uh, confirmed. Okay, so let me give you a little bit of that context here then. So the church in Rome, this is Romans, so Paul is writing a letter to Rome or the church in Rome. 
And basically, it's at a point where, um, at one point, all of the Jewish people were kind of expelled for several years by the emperor of the time. Uh, eventually, the, the Christian Jewish people, the Christian Jews came back and saw that um, the people who had became Christ followers during that time, that were still there, they didn't look like, they didn't practice like the Christian Jewish people did. They didn't have the same traditions and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and they weren't Jewish. <laughs> and so some ethnic tension ensued. So Paul is at a point, again in Romans 15, where he's saying, look, you Jewish Christians are strong in your faith, and you need to leverage your strength, not for division, but for celebration of diversity, and to build up the weaker, younger Christians, as both peoples are now becoming one people in Christ, and as you try to figure out what following after Jesus looks like together. This happens in our churches and as, as followers of Jesus even now. We often try to form people into our own image and likeness. We as humans, we have the tendency to want to form community around people that look like us, that think like us, that act like us, and that do things that we do. We form relationships this way. We form our theology and doctrine this way. When in reality, we ought to be far more interested in being formed into the image and likeness of Jesus and looking more and more like him. So that's why Paul says, guys, you must have the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. You gotta have one mind, one voice. You gotta accept one another. Don't you remember, like, just as Christ has accepted you into the family, we need to accept others into the family as well. And that's what it looks like to be formed into the image of Christ as opposed to our own image and the way that we like to run things. So as we do that and form ourselves into Jesus, his people ought to be marked with having the same attitude, the same mind, accepting one another and all those things so that we can glorify God through Jesus, even in that. And so ethnic and racial diversity should be normative of and celebrated in the church. Of all places, the church, our churches, ought to be a place of great diversity, welcoming to all. And so that's what he's working with here. And then Paul, he turns a little quickly um, to uh, kind of away from some of the small chatter and bickering that they're having of their ethnic and traditional differences to the mission of God through Jesus. He's like, hey, while you're frustrated and complaining about your differences, let me remind you of God's mission and his mission to reach those not like you, those different from you, and especially those that do not know Jesus. And he's talking about this word that he uses, the Gentiles. Okay, so let's talk about the Gentiles. He goes on in verse nine to say this. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul mentions, well, really, he goes back uh, to the Old Testament, which mentions Gentiles. And in this chapter, chapter 15, he mentions Gentiles more than 10 times. Gentiles, by the way, it just refers to anyone not Jewish. It could refer to non-Jewish Christians. It could also refer to people that don't believe in God. In the Greek, it's simply the word ethnos or nations or better translated for us, people groups. So don't like think nations, like a political geographical thing, but think people, people groups. Okay, why is that important? Well, it's important because Paul is saying, stop your ethnical and traditional division and remember our mission. Get back to the mission. With all this fighting of we do this, we don't do that, we are this kind of people, not that kind of people, we have drifted and lost sight of the mission. What mission? The mission of reaching people. Reaching people has always been God's mission. Think back to Genesis, even Genesis 12, like verse two, where it says, shows God saying to Abraham that a great nation, a great people, Gentiles, a great people will be formed out of him and his family. And not just for him and his family to be like, look at us, we're cool, but to be a blessing to the nations, to the Gentiles, to all people. And so as communities of believers, we are designed to be formed for mission and for the blessing of other people. And without a biblical foundation for mission, we can continue to ask questions like, well, why be formed for mission? Why would I do that? Is this really for everyone? Isn't it just for a select few? Does God really care so much about that? Well, Paul just gave us an Old Testament overview. He went to three different Old Testament passages to show us the importance of reaching the Gentiles and how that's all gonna go down in history. And so that, to me, seems to show us that, yeah, God has been about this the whole time. He's been about his people reaching other people for him, for Christ. That's part of God's mission. Paul then, he goes in and reveals yet another important aspect of understanding a biblical foundation for mission. And he's, talking, he's gonna talk about the gospel. He's gonna talk about the gospel. So in verse 14, he continues, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles, all peoples, might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So why be formed for mission? Why would we even do missions or have a passion for missions or hire a missions pastor? Well, it depends on who you ask. Why would we even do all of that? It's because we have good news. We have good news. It's because for Paul, he's like, it was my duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. It's because of the gospel. The gospel is a foundation, it's very self for why we would do missions. For Paul, it's not enough to just know the gospel for himself, but he sees the gospel as a calling to be shared and to share the good news with others even Gentiles, even people not like us, people that are different from us, that people that might even be our enemies, people that we have major differences with. And the good news, what is that? Well, uh, Pastor Seth, he talked about that in our, first ser- in our first sermon, so you can go back and listen to that. But basically, the good news is that God told us that he would send his son, Jesus, who died and who raised again to be our Lord. 
And in that, he is reconciling people, all people, back to him in right relationship. And he saves those that would call on his son, on his name, on Jesus. And he calls them out of slavery and out of bondage to the things of this world. And now, now with that, he has invited us into the mission of God. And as Paul says, that you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ are also called to obedience in faith for the sake of glorifying his name among all people, among the Gentiles, all nations. Let me remind us back to an analogy we've been using in this series. And it's been this analogy of, uh, think of Play-Doh, like the moldable Play-Doh thing that you play with, right? Um, think of Play-Doh, and you have a mold. You want to make that Play-Doh look like this mold, and so you form it into that mold, and it should look like that image, right? So we're saying that's what, that's what followers of Jesus ought to do. We ought to be forming ourselves, molding ourselves into the image of Christ to look like him, Well, let's take that analogy, and as it pertains to us all being called on mission, I would say, I would venture to guess that maybe many of us feel like, well, there's different molds. You know, we can form to different molds, and some of that mold that we form to is necessitated on um, our skills, our abilities, our passions and desires and things like that. When in reality, I think, um, and maybe we often say it this way, maybe not directly, but maybe we say something like this, like, Uh, I'm just not of the evangelism mold, like, right? I'm not of the missions mold. I hear what you're saying. Last week was better because Colin was preaching, but also because it was community, and I really like the the community mold. Like, I'm part of that kind of stuff. But missions, not so much. Maybe I'm part of the giving mold. I like to be generous, so, like, that's that's more my thing. Maybe somebody else is, like, the mission person. But wait a minute. (laughs) There's no separate mold for missions. There's no separate mold for... Uh, community. There's no separate mold for discipleship, generosity, uh, hospitality, or anything like that. There is one mold. There's one form. It's molding and forming into the image and likeness of Jesus, and that therefore means that we are also being formed for mission. We're being formed for community. We're being formed for all of these things as well. Being formed for reaching the Gentiles, reaching the nations, your friends, your neighbor, your coworker, being on mission, forming ourselves in the gospel mold of being on mission. And it isn't just reserved for a special calling on some people's lives. It's not just for the missions guy or the people that work on a ch- at church or anything like that. And everyone else is off the hook. That's not the case. We have to think, did Jesus really intend to just save us? And that, that's like cool for me and I'm so glad for that. I'm gonna come to church once a week and that's, that's what I do. Or is there more to it? I like what J.D. Greer says. I'm going to quote a couple things from that book that we mentioned. Uh, J.D. Greer says this. Jesus launched a global mission. And when he saves a person, he sweeps them up immediately into that mission. Global dimensions and all. He doesn't just sanitize us and put us on his sanctified shelf. He sends us on his saving mission. Or as David Platt says, the goal is not to disinfect Christians and separate them from the world, but to disciple them and send them back into the world. He goes on to directly quote David Platt. Whereas disinfecting Christians involves isolating them and teaching them to be good, discipling Christians involves propelling Christians into the world to risk their lives for the sake of others. Now the world is our focus 
and we gauge success in the church, not on the hundreds or thousands whom we can get into our buildings, but on the hundreds or thousands who are leaving our buildings to take on the world with the disciples that they are making. Okay, imagine it this way, maybe. Imagine this situation, and it happens to me uh, pretty often. Um, you get a call from somebody, or you uh, you run into somebody, and maybe they're uh, maybe you're maybe they're less tech savvy, okay, less tech savvy kind of people, and they ask you like, "Hey, I need help with my new iPhone or my new iPad," or "Hey, I need like, what's this Zoom thing?" And you're like, "It's been a year. What do you mean?" And so you're like helping them with Zoom, and so I don't know anybody helping people with Zoom this year. Okay, just me. All right, hey, all right. So there we go. So this relates to a couple of people. That's good. So there's a couple of responses you can have when someone asks you that, right? You can help them or not help them, right? Seems pretty simple. And for some of you, maybe it looks a little different. Maybe for some of you, it looks like this. Maybe uh, some, hopefully sometimes this is for me. I, I, I really seize those moments and I'm like, I jump right into the mess of trying to help this person who doesn't know Zoom and it's been a year and you go out of your way because you know that you are the person that they're asking, they're comfortable with asking, you know, you're present and available and you're like, well, whether I have the knowledge or think that I have the knowledge or not, I'm gonna help them. I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna figure it out with them. I'm gonna try to help them. Or maybe for others, and this has happened to me too, you get overwhelmed or even get frustrated and you come to the conclusion that, yeah, I don't have the patience for that right now, right? I don't have the patience to help you with that. Uh, maybe I'm not tech savvy enough. Maybe, maybe you're like, well, I have an iPhone, I have an iPad, I know how to use Zoom, but teaching somebody else, no way, no thanks. Uh, here's a number to call somebody else, right? That kind of thing. What kind of response do you have in that situation? Now, I know it's a little bit different, but try to take that kind of scenario and take that analogy into the world of being on mission for Jesus, What do you do when you come in contact with someone that has not yet heard the gospel? Or someone who's coming to you and they see your way of life. Maybe it's different and they're curious and they're wondering. They're like, why are you different? Like, what's what's up with your faith? Would you tell me about that? There's a couple of responses we could have. We can tell them or we can not tell them. Maybe for you, you're the person who seizes the moment. You jump right into the mess of sharing the gospel with someone because you're like, man, I'm present, I'm available, they're asking me. Maybe you have the relationship and you're like, well, I gotta, I gotta share this with them, I gotta tell them. Whether you know the Bible well or not, so you're like, man, I gotta do that. Or maybe for some of us, and this has definitely happened to me too, we get overwhelmed, we get frustrated. We come to the conclusion that, man, I, I'm still trying to figure it out myself. <laughs> I might know the good news, I might know how I came to know Jesus, but when it pertains to like sharing that with somebody else, like I'm just, that's just, I'm not me. That's, not, that's just not me. Here, I can point you to the pastor or I can point you to the church instead. Maybe the real question in all of this is, do we even put ourselves in situations where there are people around us who have not yet heard the gospel or that are looking at your life and wondering, what is this about you? Do we put ourselves in that situation? And this is where we're starting to really talk about the mission. And so let's go back to Paul and talk about the mission. In verse 17 to 22, Paul has this to say, therefore I glorify in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elyricrium, I can't say that word, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. 
It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not yet known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. He wants to get to these people. He can't. He's been hindered, but it's been hindered by the mission of God. Just after these verses, he goes on to say again that there is no more work to be done. There's no more room for me to work here anymore. I've preached the gospel. I've proclaimed the good news. I've told everybody that I can in this region. It seems that Paul's conclusion to an understanding of the gospel is to glorify Jesus in service to God by proclaiming the gospel to those who have not yet heard, to those who don't even know the name of Jesus. And wait, I don't know if you're doing the same thing I was doing. I'm like, wait, you're actually saying, Paul, that you have no more work to do in this area? <laughs> like, I, I, you have fully proclaimed the gospel all around this area? Could that really be true? Like, okay, so let's look at this. Let's look at this map. Okay, that's a joke, by the way. Anybody who, the five people who know this meme, uh, I did this because when I was thinking of look at this map, I thought of this, this meme. And also, Nickelback is uh, Pastor Tony's favorite band. It's up there with cats. So uh, you're welcome. <laughs> okay, now, but for real, look at this map, all right? Um, that's just, that's good. All right, so I, I went and I Googled this area that Paul is talking about. He's like, I, basically he's like, I went from Jerusalem to Rome and I preached the gospel to everybody. There's no more work to be done in this area. I'm like, what? Like, that's 2,000 miles of, that's 569 hours of walking. Apparently you have to walk through the water too um, a couple of times. But uh, if that's the case, like, wow, Paul, that's pretty fantastic. Like, you mean to tell me that you, have reached all these people from Jerusalem to Rome, 2,000 miles, 569 hours, and you didn't have Zoom or an iPhone? Like, that's crazy. How do you do that? And so Paul's like, yeah, no more work to be done. I gotta move on. There's other things to do. See, Paul, he started churches. He made disciples. He empowered others to know Jesus and not just to know Jesus for themselves, but to carry that message of Jesus to other people and trusting that message to those who would also entrust the message with other people, which is, by the way, what he learned from Jesus. So for Paul, if there's a Christian, if there's a Bible, a church, then that area ought to be or is becoming reached, is becoming an area where the very name of Christ is being known. The gospel is being proclaimed, and therefore there's a need to move on to places where Jesus is not yet known. And so, just to highlight this again, Paul's saying, yeah, it has always been my ambition, my honor, my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. For many of us, myself including at times, we don't have that same vision, that same mindset at times. If we're honest, some of us are listening and we might even be thinking, yeah, but I'm just like not globally minded. I'm just not fitting that mold. I don't have the will or the ability to like go overseas. What are we talking about here, right? Is it just about going overseas? Is that what we're saying? No, not necessarily. And by the way, Paul, he's representing a specific calling on his life. He's like, I just, I am the, I gotta be the person to go and ensure Christ is known to all nations. And it just doesn't have to look the same way for everybody. For followers of Jesus, there's many ways that we can be involved or part of missions and uh, glorifying God through reaching all peoples. 
There's many ways that we can do that, not just going overseas or anything like that. The problem, though, the problem is when we look at our community, so think about where you live, where we're at now. Some of the problem is when we look at our community and our neighborhoods and we say, wait a minute, like, forget all that global stuff. Like, why are we even doing that kind of stuff overseas? There's, like, stuff we got to do here. There's unreached people here. And I would just kindly say that, no, we don't have unreached people here. And you might kindly say, what are you talking about? How do you know? Have you not been to my workplace and seen those people, right? Whatever. You're like, man, how, how do you know? And I would kindly say back, well, I know that because you're here. Because we have a church here. <laughs> because we have followers of Jesus working at Target, at Starbucks, at corporate jobs. We have followers of Jesus in our community shopping at Aldi's and Bueller's and going to the parks. We're not an unreached people. We have availability of the gospel here. You're here. We are here. The church is here. And so, look at how many churches we have in Medina. If you just, all I did was Google churches in Medina. And so here's what popped up. There's probably more. But look at that. We have a lot of churches here. There's a lot of opportunity. I'm not saying all these churches are, we all have our flaws, right? But the gospel is available and present in this area. Imperfectly. And I don't think that that means that the work is done here, right? Paul might argue, actually, because he kind of did. But um, I think this should be celebrated, okay? I think this should be celebrated that, wow, we, we have the gospel here. That's amazing. That's great. And it's not like that everywhere in the world. So not to get discouraged by this, but to say, man, that's awesome. Let's continue being formed for mission here in Medina every single day while we're at work and wherever we are at and where God has us. But let us also realize the reality of the gospel situation in our world as well. So I brought some stats with me. This is from joshuaproject.net. I can never remember. Is it .net or .org? If you Google it, you'll find it. But it's Joshua Project. And they have an amazing website with all kinds of statistics. And they show you all different kinds of people groups that you can pray for and view and see how the gospel is doing or is not doing around the world. And what they'll say is, yeah, there's about 17,459 Gentiles or peoples or people groups or nations in our world. It goes on to say that out of that, 7,000 or 42% are completely unreached. What does that mean? It means that very few are active in their faith, if at all, or that identify as Christian with little to no history of Christianity in that area. How's that possible? We have iPhones, we have Zoom. 1,100 are minimally reached, meaning few are active in their faith, but there might be a significant number who identify as Christians. 1,800 of them are superficially reached, meaning few are active in their faith, but there are many that identify as Christian, but there is great need for spiritual renewal and commitment to biblical faith and allegiance to Jesus. Uh, 3,700 of them are partially reached, where there's like a modest presence of active followers of Jesus. And 3,200 of them are significantly reached, meaning there's a significant presence of followers of Jesus. So there's some exciting news there, and then there's some not so exciting news there as well. And by the way, most of the unreached people in our world are in this 1040 window. Anybody heard of a 1040 window before? 
Just now? Okay, cool. Um, so the 1040 window is what missions people would often refer to. It's uh, like, if you're looking at the map, it's like 10 degrees north, 40 degrees north latitude, that kind of thing. And it's this interesting like box where you can just see on the map where this is where most of that 42 plus percent of unreached people are, where people have maybe not had or have heard or had a history of the gospel. Maybe there's very few Christians there, very, like no Bibles, very few churches, anything like that. And so we see that Islam is there, Hinduism, Buddhism, and non-religious. I would imagine that Paul is doing the math here. And by the way, it's very interesting. We just showed a map of kind of this area before, and Paul said the work was done, but now the work is needed there again. It's the importance of local ministry. But I would imagine Paul is doing some math here and saying, wait a minute, there are so many people who have not yet heard the gospel. Someone's got to do something about that. Who's going to do something about that? And in his day, he's like, I think it's me. I think it's me. And what Paul did is he wrote this letter. He's encouraging people to get involved in that, to at the very least like pray for him, financially support him so he can go, and maybe go with him, to be sent with him. And I do want to pause just for a second because I would imagine um, I'm a cynical person at times. I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical about things. And maybe there's some, somebody else in this room too. And maybe you're at this point where you're thinking, well, why don't we just leave these people alone? Like, what's Christians' problems, right? Christians just want to, like, get their agenda and tell people all, all this and that, right? So I think that's a very valid question. <laughs> I think it's a valid question from people who don't follow Jesus. I think that's a valid question that people that even do follow Jesus have. And here is my response. Of course I have a response, but here we go. If I believe that Jesus really was a person on this earth who died, who raised again, and who is God, and gave us the scriptures, which is his word, and tells of his truth, then that means that I believe that all people, Christians including, differences aside, all people are slaves to this world and the things of this world, We're slaves to the spiritual authorities, the masters of this world, as the Bible calls it. And those things are all disguised as things that we desire, but in reality, they are harmful and they seek to destroy and kill us. They seek to keep us addicted to whatever the thing is. They seek to destroy our marriages and relationships and us and our churches. (laughs) Alternatively, we ought to get back to our human roots which is a relationship with a kind and loving ruler who, even in his discipline, is a loving and kind ruler and who is the creator God and who can be known explicitly through having a relationship with Jesus. And that is good news for those that are in slavery and bondage to the things of this world that seek to kill and destroy us. And that's good news. Why wouldn't I want to share that good news with others? Why wouldn't I be like, Lord, yes, please send me. Let's tell people of this. Let's recall back to April um, when New York was getting uh, slammed by COVID. New York was seeking medical workers from around the country to come and help. And I read an article that said that they had about 25,000 medical workers from outside of New York take the call and come and help in a desperate situation to risk their lives, to take the call and to come help and be part of the relief in that situation. Well, imagine this. 
America has a lot of followers of Jesus. We have a lot of resources. We have a lot of churches, and there's so many other statistics I want to give you. I have like three hours worth of stuff that we can go through, but another time. Go to our, uh, you can go to our uh, other class on like uh, discovering local and global missions, and you can get more of that there. It's happening in May. Shameless plug. There you go. But there's a lot of followers in, of Jesus in America. There's a lot of resources, and there are missionaries that, who are, have crossed cultural borders legally, have crossed cultural borders illegally, who have given up their comforts of their lives to risk their lives all for the sake of the gospel to be proclaimed to all nations, to all peoples. And a lot of those missionaries are calling on us to help. They're calling on the churches, the the places that actually have churches, the places where followers of Jesus are actually at, to come and be part of and help, and at the very least pray for their often unnoticed work that they do. To, to help give because they're in areas that it's hard to live in. They have to figure out career and finances and things like that just to be in that area. And maybe even for some of us to go so that they could have an actual ally with them where they don't, in a lot of cases, have that. And so let me also just kind of remind us of like Luke 5 and other places where Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick. See, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. It's part of God's mission. We're formed for that same mission. And these are reasons why we partner in areas like France and Japan, uh, where the least reach are located. For a lot of people are like, yeah, why do we go to France and Japan? To like drink wine and eat cheese? Well, yeah, but also that's because that's how we connect with people. There's not so much gospel happening in France and Japan. You know, especially when we look at our other global partners like Uganda and Mexico, there's different kind of work to be happening there. But, you know, honestly, Uganda and Mexico, they're one of our partners. The gospel's doing pretty well in those areas, like here. And so I say all that because I want us to think, when we think about mission or missions, it's not even helpful to kind of separate our thinking into local missions or like, yeah, I'm of the local mission mold or, oh, I'm of the global mission mold, and we separate those things. I don't think that's helpful. Um, for me, I'm more interested in should, like, when we say should we do local or global missions, I'm like, well, yes, we should, both. Because <laughs> I'm interested in more, where is the gospel not already proclaimed? Is it our ambition, like Paul's ambition, to go to the places where Christ is not yet known? That's important because I'm not just up here to go on about having us do more global things. I don't want to be known as like, just, oh yeah, Steve, he's a global guy. He's going to try to get you on a mission trip, which is true, by the way. We have two coming up, so uh, email me. we get you signed up. But that's not, what we're, that's not the agenda, <laughs> necessarily. And by the way, sometimes mission trips aren't even very helpful at all. And like, I'm the same, the same guy who's like, it's my job to do these. I love doing these. I'm inviting you to be part of our mission trips. And I'm also saying they're actually not that helpful sometimes. I think we do them well and right, but a lot of times it's like you go there, it can be seen as like a Christian vacation, you do a nice thing and you come home. It's not helpful all the time. What is helpful is when we plant ourselves in an area that has not heard Christ and we be part of that relationally and we share the good news with others and come alongside people long term. So I don't want to be just focused on global missions. However, there is something to be said about global missions that helps us in our mindset. Again, I like what J.D. Greer says in his book. He says this, can an emphasis on global missions unhelpfully distract the church from its local responsibilities? It can, and I have seen that happen sometimes. 
More often, however, a focus on the nations increases passion for mission at home. When believers are exposed to another culture, their myopic view of the world is exploded. If God is doing this around the world, they ask, why is he not doing it among my friends? Why would I be passionate about God's work here and not at home? Furthermore, they see how transient and small their kingdom is in light of God's, in light of God's kingdom. And I would say the same for even local stuff. Like when we interact with other cultures, other people not like us, we get a different view. And so now I want to go into like, what do we do about all of this, right? Does this mean we should just take the call and go be cross-cultural workers, be missionaries to the Gentiles, to all nations? Everyone's got to go to France and Japan. That'd be cool. But no way, <laughs> right? We can't all go. Obviously, that's impossible. Um, and we got to do missions here in our community. There's still work to be done here too. So I have two multifaceted closing points, okay? Um, I say that because I, I realize that I give these two points, but I'm like talking way more than just these two points. So hear me out. There's only a few minutes left, okay? So here we go. Number one, here's what we can do about this. And I say this all the time. Love God, love others, make disciples. Like if you ask me, like, Steve, what's the conclusion to uh, your message this weekend? Like it's this, or the message that I'll give next time, or anything else. I feel like this is like always the answer. So that's kind of my thing. I'm like, just do that, and we're probably doing all right. <laughs> so for many of us, we don't have to do anything different. We just keep loving God. We keep loving others. We keep making disciples right where God has us and called us in our workplace, in our homes, with our families, with our friends, in this area in Medina. This is the best thing that you can do in response to the gospel, in response to Paul's teaching here in Romans 15. The next thing, if we need some more tangible things to do here, I would say, and this is, again, same language we always use, we should pray, give, go. Everyone can pray. Some of you are able to give, and not just financially. And some of us even can go. And so how can we pray, give, go? Let me give you some ways that we can do that, okay? So prayer, prayer is deeply important, deeply important. So important that our uh, missions agency, Encompass World Partners, they always print off these prayer guides every year. And so these are the ones for this year. And so you can pick up some of these if we have them left at our Welcome Center. I only ordered like 100 of them. But you can go to their website at encompassworldpartners.org, and you can download the PDF, and you can get it there. But we have these prayer guides where you, your family, your life group can go through, and um, it, it even goes through like days, like day one, do this, day two, pray for this, day three, pray for Brazil, pray for Cambodia, Cameroon. Here's the missionaries that we know that are there. Pray for them and the specific things. You'll see some people, there's pictures of people, and some people have their faces kind of blurted out. And so when that happens, you're like, did they mess something up? No, those are people that are in areas that if, they, if it was known that they were missionaries, then they could die. And so you'll see those kind of people in there that we can be praying for. And these are people reaching, the least reach in that area. So get a prayer guide. You can pray that way. Colin, earlier, he mentioned pray for your three. So I would encourage you, if um, this is language we used before, like is there three people that you know that don't know Jesus, that you desperately want to come to know Jesus? Can you pray for them? Can you write their names down somewhere? Can you pray for them? And not just pray, but like invite them into your life, invite them into your faith, to your church, to your life group, things like that. You can get on Joshua Project. That's where we got some of the statistics. Um, they also have an app that you can download. 
And it's really cool. Every day um, in the morning, they'll, they'll notify your, um, if you have notification settings, if you need help, I can help you. Okay, I'll do that. And, um, <laughs> or the two other people that said they could help you. Um, we got people. Um, you could download the app and it'll notify you every day of a new people group to pray for. It's amazing seeing how many different people groups there are. And I know there's 17,000, but seeing them, you're like, wow. And so you can be praying for them. And then I also just want to challenge and encourage our church. I don't know if we challenge this ever, but... Fasting and praying. So I just want to encourage you to make that part of some kind of rhythm that you have in your life. When's the last time that you've like fasted and prayed for something that you deeply care about or to find out how I should be caring about something? What I mean is like, Sometimes I fast and pray, and I'm like, God, I don't know what to do in this situation. Or, God, I don't know what you're calling. I know that we're saying we're formed to mission, but I don't know what that looks like. Would you fast and pray about that? Would you fast and pray for some of these people if you get this prayer guide um, for some of these people doing that work? Would you fast and pray for um, the gospel to be known and heard in our community, in our workplace, and things here locally as well? So I would encourage and challenge us to do that. Next, we can give. Okay, again, it's not just financial, but um, sometimes there is a lot of need financially. And uh, we can give to your church, okay? So if you're listening uh, here online or if you're here today, you're like, I'm just visiting, give to your church. It doesn't have to be our church. Give to your church. Because what you're doing is we're saying, oh, yeah, we, um, we uh, understand giving is helpful, and we understand that this church is here to be on mission. And so when you give to your church, you're being part of that mission here in our community, you can give to our partners locally or globally. You can go on our website and you can see all the needs that are there with our local and global partners. You can give to cross-cultural workers or to say it another way, missionaries. I know me and my wife, we uh, give to our partners and we support some missionaries and we support their work and uh, it's a good thing. So you can give. I don't like talking about giving, so I like to scoot over that, but you can do that. It's a big thing. It's a big deal. We can also go. Some of us can go. And it doesn't just mean go overseas. We can do stuff here. We have something called Love Medina. There's about 250 plus people that are um, in this group of Love Medina where we get weekly different, all kinds of different random needs from different places. It's actually really cool. Like the most recent thing, we've had like somebody say, uh, somebody who is struggling, they finally got an apartment, um, which um, got them off the street. And they were like, hey, we need some, uh, we don't have like pots and pans. And so we're like, "We'll, we'll help. We'll get people. We'll do it. And that became a bridge uh, for relationship. We have other things where it's like, I need mentoring, or I need all kinds of random things that connect us to relationship with people in our community that we can share the gospel with. We can go to our partners, Love, Inc., uh, Oasis of Hope. They always could use people. You could always use serves, people serving. We can go to our neighbor. Of course, you have to be like COVID mindful, right? But um, we can go to our neighbors. Do we even know our neighbors? Have we shared life with our neighbors? Have we opened up our homes for our neighbor? You can go on short-term mission trips, of course. We have Mexico happening in July. I think there's a couple of spots left. We have a team getting ready to go to France in October, God willing, for all of this. You can go on Go teams, even though I just said they weren't helpful, but we'll make sure they're helpful. <laughs> you could do midterm things. We have some people who have done internships with us already. Um, we've had Actually, like, two of the people who have done internships are Patrick. So if there's another Patrick in here, you're, like, meant to be. But uh, we had a Patrick who went to France for an internship, uh, or is going to France for an internship. We had a Patrick who went to Mexico for an internship. In Mexico, by the way, if you're a young adult especially, they are looking for a bunch of interns this summer. So if you are wanting to invest yourself that way, that would be a great thing to do. 
and France is looking for interns as well right now. So you could do that. Maybe God's calling you to a people group. Maybe God is calling you to a different place to be a cross-cultural worker. So would you consider that as well? Okay, I'm going to invite the band up here. And I want to, I, I always say that, you know, our, when you think about give it away, um, which is what we call missions here, uh, we always say pray, give, go. I want to introduce one other thing as well that uh, Encompass World Partners often uses, and it's just language we haven't used yet, but I want to in, um, invite you into that. And it's this idea of not just praying, not just giving, not just going, but also welcoming. I think this is really important, especially in light of the text that we have today in Romans 15. Are we welcoming people? Are we a church marked by welcoming the nations, all people? Do we welcome people into our home, even people that don't look like you, don't act like you, don't think like you? Do we welcome them into our home, around the table? Do we welcome them into our life group, into our church? Do we invite them into our faith? And so I would just say, in light of this message, like, Do we welcome the nations? Is it our ambition to preach Christ where Christ is not yet known? And so to encourage us, the last thing with that, I gotta go back to Romans 10 because Paul says it so well here. He kind of has this little like battle cry in a sense. So I'm gonna read this for us and then we'll pray. He says this in Romans 10. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray that we as your church, as followers of Jesus, that we would be beautiful people bringing beautiful good news to those who have not yet heard. God, I pray that we would be, yeah, that we would be formed to your image and likeness, which also means that we're formed to mission, we're formed to community, we're formed to all these things that we're talking about in this series. But God, as we think through, pray through, act on being formed for mission, God, would you let our church do that well? Would you give us a heart and a passion and a mindset for the lost, for reaching others that don't know you? And not, not necessarily because we're like tallying that up, having an agenda in that way, but because for those of us who are followers, we know what it's like to be in slavery and bondage to the things of this world. We know what it's like to be set free by you, a great creator, a great Lord. And gosh, man, we, I just want so desperately to share that also with other people who have not yet heard you. Would you let that be our ambition? Would you let that be our ambition as a church, as families, as people who work in this community, who have the ability to interact all around the world with all different kinds of people? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Lord, let that be true of our church, of our people. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.